Heavenly Father, we bow here once again. We thank you for this honor and this privilege and this freedom that you give us to come and pray. Lord, I pray that as we go now through the remainder of this service, that we open up your word, that, Lord, you would indeed open it up to our hearts. And I pray that we would learn and that we would grow, that we would become more like you, having studied your word. We thank you again and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's all be seated. Let me ask you this question. Um, what is it about being a Christian that excites you? I'm not asking for answers here. I'm just a hypothetical, you know, question here, rhetorical question. But be thinking about this, okay? What is it that causes you to get excited about your faith? What is it that causes you to want to praise Him? What is it that puts a smile on your face when you think about salvation? And for some people, you'd be thinking, well, I'm excited because I know that one day I'll be with Him, one day I'll be in heaven, and all of these things are true, but we got to think about it this way. Heaven's way down the road somewhere. At least we hope it is. You know, we're not ready to go today, but, you know, one day we, we know that we're going and we are looking forward to that. But what excites you about today or tomorrow or next week? What excites you about your faith? Now, I want to read you a verse. It's the last verse in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And this is how Paul ends this passage. And we're doing a study in Ephesians. So this is our passage we're dealing with today. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, here's how he ends up what we're going to be talking about today. He says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's how he ends it. Now, this guy is excited. He's excited about his faith. He's excited about his relationship with the Lord. He's excited about being who he is. Now, for some of us, that's something we don't understand. Because, sadly to say, many Christians live life without ever knowing why I ought to be happy. Um, I know I'm going to heaven. I'll put my faith in Christ, and, and I know that, and that brings me a certain degree of happiness. But I'm talking about day by day by day. What is it that makes you happy about being a Christian? It's sad to say for some of us there's no joy, there's no excitement, and it's almost as if we're being forced to smile sometimes because we know that Christians ought to. So we force ourselves to look happy and to act as though we're joyful, but Maybe deep down inside you're just consumed with problems and things that are going on in your life, and there's not a whole lot of joy there. And for all, if anybody out of all the people in the world should walk around with a smile on their face, it ought to be us. You know, we ought to have a smile on our face. We ought to be happy. We ought to be joyful. We ought to be looking forward not just to going to heaven, but we ought to be looking forward to tomorrow, the day after that, to see what God's going to do to be able to see where he's going to lead us and the things that he might might accomplish. But see, that's, that's really where the problem lies because not all of us are aware of the blessings that God has given. Now today what we're going to be doing is looking at this passage. We're going to be looking at three reasons why you and I ought to be smiling, three reasons why we ought to be praising God, three blessings that are yours by birthright. Now, let me explain that, okay? When you became a Christian, one point in your life, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you believed that you were a sinner, you put your faith in Christ and were saved. And at that moment, the Bible says, you became his child, and God became your father. And with that came certain rights that are yours by birth. 
Those are the things that most Christians struggle with because those are the things that most Christians aren't aware of. And what you see when you look in the epistles, the writings in the New Testament, you see the apostles trying to outline and explain the blessings that God has given, the things that are true about you because of your faith in Christ that maybe you don't know, maybe you just aren't aware of. And once you become aware of those things, Paul gets excited and he's hoping we get excited and he's hoping that that frown that we are, you know, some of us came in here with today will turn upside down and become a smile because we ought to be smiling when we realize the blessings that God has given. Let me read you this passage. There's going to be three things in this passage that I'm going to draw out of here. Three things that are blessings that you may or may not be aware of, but I want to bring out and expound on. As I read through this, you see if you can spot them. Okay? It's a good practice for you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Now, let me stop right there before I go any further and just say something. Last week, we ended up with the passage just before this, and Paul kind of ended that passage with the statement that, you know what, I'm suffering for you, talking about the Ephesians, because I'm the one that's getting beaten for preaching to you. I'm the one that's getting beaten for sharing the gospel, but that's okay. He says, I'm doing it as unto the Lord for you. And he says now with this verse, For this reason, I kneel, he's praying, before the Father because he's going to pray for them. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Three reasons why you and I ought to praise him. Here's the first one. We ought to be praising him because God gives you the spiritual power to change your life. God gives you, the not you to have the ability, but God does this in you. God gives the power to you, His Spirit, to bring about change. Any, any other way you're not going to achieve. It's only through this. And this is what's so unique about Christianity. All other religions of the world are just that. They're religions. They're things that you practice in order to appease a God or the God of the Bible even, because some religions have it so confused that that's what they think. Religion is just that way. I'm trying to perform to appease a God that I don't really know. But in the Scripture, what God says is this, that when you come to Him, that the Spirit of God indwells you and you are changed or transformed from the inside. That God does something in you as a believer over your entire life. This doesn't happen instantaneously. 
And he begins to work on you to bring about change. Now let's go back and just pick apart these several verses here that talk about this. Verses 14 through um, 17. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now watch. I pray that out of his glorious riches. Now just stop and think about this. I pray that out of all the riches of heaven and all the blessings that God has to give, that God opens up his pouch of blessings and that he does something for you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now he's writing to believers. Okay, you read this and you may think, well, is he praying that they be saved? Because it seems kind of strange that he would pray that. But no, these are already believers. He's asking for strength for each one of them. He's praying that God, through his spirit that lives within them, would begin the transformation process. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul makes this statement. He says, for we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that as a believer, when you came to Christ, no matter who you are, your background, your nationality, no matter what, that you were given the same Holy Spirit that the same Holy Spirit has baptized all of us into one body. We are one church, and we have the same Spirit, and this is what God has done for us. We have all been made to drink of one Spirit. That's something that God did for you. Now, here's the problem. We as Christians have been baptized by the Spirit of God into one body, often fail to live as though there's anything there. We face the struggles of life differently than we should. We worry about things that we should not. We deal with problems in a whole different way than we should. When Paul thinks about these people that he's pouring out his life for, these Ephesian Christians, he's saying to them, look, I am praying that God in his glorious riches would strengthen you through his spirit that lives in you. Now watch where he's asking for this to take place. In your inner being so that Christ can dwell in your hearts. This is at the very depths of your soul, your very spirit, the depths of your being. He's saying, I'm asking that God does a work in you to transform you to change you into something totally different. This is the transformation process of the Spirit of God. This is what a lot of us Christians don't understand. We think this. We think, okay, Jesus died on the cross. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And then God throws us out there and he says, now sink or swim. And I want you to serve me and honor me and do all these things and be obedient. And if you don't, then I'm going to zap you or I'm going to punish you. And some people even believe, well, he'll take salvation back from you. And none of that's true. Does God discipline his children? Yes. But our concept of that is so foreign to what the Bible teaches. 
And what reality is, is this, that God begins a good work in you upon salvation when he puts his spirit inside of you. And he says, now that spirit that lives inside of you is going to, in your inner being, in the very depths of your soul, he's going to change you. And it's going to take your whole life. It's a process. But he's going to change you from the inside out. And what you're going to notice is this, and I've heard so many people over the years of ministry say this. Say, Pastor, you know, I look back at my life 10 years ago, and I know that when I became a Christian 10 years ago, and I look at myself now, I see a change, and I don't know why it happened. I don't know how it happened. It's like it just happened overnight, and I wasn't even aware of it. I'll say, yeah, you see, that's what God does. That's what God does because God changes your thought processes. God changes your priorities. God changes your emotions. God changes your feelings. God changes your desires. God changes everything about you. And all we've got to do is get out of the way because God says, I'm going to do it through his spirit. But what we do time and time again, we're notorious for this. That is just when the spirit begins to work in us, and just well up inside of us and just take control of us and we're just rocking and rolling in the Spirit of God, all of a sudden we'll quench the Spirit because we'll choose to follow after some fleshly desire, some ungodly act, some sinful practice, and all of a sudden it's like the Spirit of God steps back and says, well, I'll have to wait till you get your act together now before I can begin to work again. The Bible talks about quenching the Spirit and we do it more often than we realize in verse 17, there's this statement. Let me read it again. I'll read verse 16 along with it. But it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, now this is the result, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now what does that mean? Because it, it almost says, I'm, I'm praying that you get saved. But that's not what he's saying. He's talking to these people as believers who have the Spirit. He says, and when the Spirit does His work in you, here's the result. The result is going to be that Christ is going to dwell in your hearts through faith. What does that mean? Well, let me read another verse to you, and maybe it will help you to get a grip on what this is talking about. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul said this when he wrote to the Colossians. He said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. There's that terminology again. Let it dwell in you richly. It's not that he's asking that Jesus live in them. He already lives in them. What he's saying is this. The result of the Spirit's work in your heart when you begin to transform is that all of a sudden Jesus is on the throne. You see, Jesus takes his rightful place on the throne of your life. And everything changes. You see, it's a battle between, within us, I should say, between us, our old way of thinking, our old way of life, the old flesh, and the Spirit that's working in us. And whenever we allow God to work through His Spirit, He's going to change you. Your desires are going to change. Your thoughts are going to change. Everything changes. And what you notice is this, that all of a sudden... You look at your life where you you used to try to control everything. You used to try to manipulate everything. You used to make your own choices. You used to live life to satisfy yourself. And all of a sudden you notice that you're beginning to look more and more like Jesus than ever before. 
because Jesus has taken up residence on the throne where he should be. And he's helping to change you. And you're reflecting it in the way that you live life. It's kind of the same idea that John had in John 15 when he says, I'm the vine, vine, you're the branches. You abide in me and I in you because you can't do anything by yourself. It's the same idea. Allow me to have supremacy in your life. Allow me to have that. And the Spirit of God is going to change you beyond measure. Now let's bring it down to some practical terms here. You may be dealing as a believer with a marriage that is failing. You've tried everything that you can to pull this thing together. Your mate, your spouse is angry, hurt to the very core of his or her being. It's almost to the point where they hate you. They don't want to talk to you. These wounds go deep. question is this, how are you going to mend this? What are you going to do to pull it together? How are you going to change the pain in that person's heart? How are you going to do that? You can't. You can't. Paul's saying here, I'm praying for you that through the Spirit of God, that God would work in your inner being to change you at your very core. Take away the bitterness to take away the hurt, to take away the desire for revenge, to take it all away. Only God can do this. When things get so far that there's been so much hurt and pain that nobody can restore that, God can. See, this is the blessing. God says, I can take that mess that you've made and I can pull it all together and I can make it work. Some of you are struggling with bad habits, addictions. It could be pornography. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be anything. It could be food. It could be anything. And you've tried and tried and tried over the years to try to get free of this, and you just can't seem to do it. Paul says, now here's what I'm doing. I'm praying and I'm asking God that through his spirit, he's going to change that about you in your very core, in your very inner being. I want God to transform you. God can do it. God can do it. God can take a person who is is so far gone and so far down in the gutter that nobody has any inkling of hope for this person because nothing is going to restore this person. God can. And that's the beauty of this that when you are changed from the inside in the very core of your holy in core of your spirit by the holy spirit it's real and it works and it sticks and it, it it it's as it should be you want to become a godly husband or a godly wife a godly parent how are you going to do it god can do it through his spirit god can do it So you see what Paul is saying here. He says, look, I'm praying that out of his glorious riches, he's going to strengthen you in your very core, in your spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ becomes king in your life, that you give it over to him, that you walk with him, that you become like him, that you look like him. He says, that's what I'm praying for you. 
Guys, that, that is a blessing of God. Just think, if that were not the case, what life would be like when God says to you and me, now, you go out there and you live for me. You go out there and you do this. You go out there and you, you share the gospel. You go out there and you be a, a godly hus- husband or wife. How am I going to do that? How do we do that without this transaction that takes place here? This work of God in your heart. You look at this and you think to yourself, there are things in my life that are beyond hope. God says, no, they're not. I can do this. Then why aren't we smiling? (laughs) Why are we happy? If God can change me in the biggest mess that we could possibly make, then why are we not praising Him? Because if we understand what He can do, then everything changes. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see about this. You think to yourself, well, how do I get this? I mean, how do I I achieve this? Well, what is Paul doing here? He says in verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. I pray that he does this. You pray. How many of us ever pray that God would do work in our hearts and change us? Change us into something that we are not, but that we should be. Take the mess that I've made in my life, and Lord, I need you to work a miracle here, and I need you to change not only me, but my entire family. God, do it. And I will trust you to do it. All I've got to do is pray and get out of the way, and stop getting in the way by the things that I do and the choices that I make. And let God be God. Let's move. I've got to move a little faster. I've spent too much time on that one. Here's the second blessing that, God, that Paul mentions here, and here it is. That God gives you the unmerited love that gives you hope. Unmerited love that gives you hope. Now, here's what I mean by the hope. Some of us are very insecure in our relationship with the Lord. And what we need to understand is, very simply, the love that God has given to us. Now, notice I've said it's unmerited love. It's not something you can earn. And this is what we've got to understand. That as, that as Christians, as children of God, this is a blessing that God has given that I do not and I cannot earn. Now, I'm talking to you as a believer. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the love of God for you right now in your life, wherever you are in life. Now, watch. We're going to pick back up with verse 17 and read through verse 19. Watch. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Guys, you've got to understand all this packed in these couple of little verses here, okay? He says here in the beginning, he says, I pray that you, and then he puts in parentheses, being rooted and established in love. In other words, you have already been accepted in love. You've been saved. You're already grounded in the love of God. He loves you. But now I'm praying that you understand it, that you comprehend it. 
This is what he means when he says that I want you to be able to grasp it. I want you to be able to know how big it is and how deep it is and how magnificent it is because too many Christians don't. You see, God says, I love you. We say, great, you forgave my sins and you love me. You're going to let me come to heaven. But somehow we, there's this, this big disconnect between now and then. You see, I look at my life and I think to myself, you know, I know me. <laughs> I know the kind of person I am. I know the things nobody else knows about me. And I can't help but question and have doubts about that God loves me. In spite of what I do, that God loves me. Paul says, yeah, and I want you Christians in Ephesus and the Christians in Dogwood Church, I want you to understand this. I want you to grasp how big it is and how deep it is. In verse 19 he says, and I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Look at that. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? How do I know something that through knowledge you can't really know? He says, I want you to experience it. I want you to live it. I want you to feel it. I want you to go through it. Then he closes it up that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, everything that God has for you, his love, I want you to understand it. And I want you to experience it. Guys, I've got to tell you something. There is an, an, an insecurity among believers when it comes to this. An insecurity in this relationship and whether God loves me or not. We talk a good talk, but we very rarely comprehend it. And I know it because of the way we talk, the things that we say. I know it by the doubts that we express. We look at things and we say, God couldn't love me, not that much. He may have forgiven me, but next week, the week after, He loves me? (laughs) Yeah. But I failed Him. I know. But I've been unfaithful to Him. I know. And God knows. But Paul's saying, God, help them to understand. Help them to comprehend it, to grasp it. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you grasp the love of God, when it finally clicks, when you finally understand, when it finally makes sense that God loves you in spite of yourself, everything changes. And all of a sudden you experience freedom. All of a sudden you understand what grace is. All of a sudden, God takes on a whole different perspective. He's not the ogre in heaven anymore. He's the loving Father. And all the fullness that Paul talks about here is just poured out on you when you comprehend that. You see, there are things that are true that are always true in our relationship to God. But if I don't know those things and understand those things, if I don't grasp them, then I am missing out on the experience of them. God's love is one of the biggies. Most Christians don't grasp it. And this is what Paul's asking for. He's saying, God, please show them. God, please help them to understand. Help them to feel it, to experience it, to know it, and to not doubt it. You know, when we raised our children, and every parent is different in the way they discipline children. There are times we spank little kids, you know, 
So there's times we send them to the rooms, times just you put them in the corner for time out. Every parent's different on how they do it. But just imagine, okay, that some young child, preteen or something has, has mouthed off and been disrespectful or disobedient, and you send them to their room for a time out. You send them to the room to restrict them. And there were some angry words, some heated words maybe shared between the two of you. And they go into their, to their room, they shut their door, and they usually slam it, and they lay down on their bed, and they're angry. Now let me ask you this question. Do you think they feel loved right then? I doubt it. Do you think that they, they feel that maybe you don't love them anymore? Probably. Most children do when they're disciplined. The first thing that comes to mind is mom or dad doesn't love me anymore. Now, all that happens then is things are restored. You come back out, your relationship is restored, and all of a sudden they feel that love again. Now, the love never changed. The love that the parent has for that child never diminished one bit. But what did diminish is this, the child's comprehension of grasping that love. They didn't experience, they didn't feel it, they didn't understand it. They had doubts about it. Here's where most of us live life, folks. We don't really grasp the love of God. We know that it happened intellectually, we know that it's real, but we don't feel it, we don't experience it. Paul says he is praying that God, through his Spirit, would help these Ephesian Christians grasp his love for them. Guys, this is the thing that changes your life. It really does. And when you grasp this and understand it, your relationship to your father changes because you know right then where you stand. It finally makes sense that there is nothing ever, ever that can separate you from the love of God. And then when that clicks, when it finally clicks, your life changes. Your relationship to the Lord changes. So yes, that is important and that is a blessing that God would love us that much. Here's the third thing, very quickly. The third reason why we need to praise God is that God gives you unlimited possibilities that are available to you. There are unlimited possibilities that are available to you because of who you are. Watch. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And he goes on to say, to him be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. But notice what he's saying here. To him who is able to do immeasurably more, that means beyond measure. Now think about the way the descriptive words here. You can't measure it. There's no limit to it. What he could do with you, to you, for you, through you. Immeasurably more than you could even ask of him. And he goes on to say that you could even imagine. Well, I can imagine a lot of things. A lot of things. But through the power of God that has worked in us, Paul says he can do more than you can even imagine. Now, here's the question, guys What are your dreams? What are your dreams? What is it that you want in this life that you're scared to ask for? You need a job. You need a different job. You need a spouse. You need for your relationship to be straightened out. You need a better marriage. 
You need children because you don't have any. You need for your children to grow up to love the Lord, and you're praying for that. You need to be a better parent. You need to be healed from something. You need to be involved in ministry, and you want to be, but you're scared to death to do it. You want to overcome addictions. What is it? What is your dream? What do you want? What have you convinced yourself that you can never have? God says you can have it. This is not prosperity theology. God determines how the gifts are given. God determines how the blessings are bestowed. You and I don't. But God says, listen to me, because I have the power to give you more and better than you ever imagined, and it's yours. And through the Spirit, I can work these things out in your life. Guys, don't be scared to ask. Don't be scared to ask for the things that God says I can give to you already. I can do, God says, I can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. So don't let any blessing go unclaimed. God wants to pour out on you things that are beyond measure. Why? Because He loves you. If you can grasp that, if you can just begin to grasp that love of God, that you'll understand that God is at work in your heart to transform you and change you and bless you beyond measure. And we go back to the beginning. How do you get that? Paul's asking for it. Paul is literally asking for it. So why don't we? Why don't we begin to pray like Paul is praying? That God would do a work in our hearts and in the hearts of our children, in the hearts of our family members and hearts of our friends, that God, through His Spirit, would change us. God, I'll get out of the way. I step aside. Lord, I want the Spirit of God living in me, in the depths of my soul, I want there to be change. I want to be a different person. I want my life to change. I want different priorities. I want different desires. Lord, I want peace. I want joy. Whatever it may be, that God would work in our hearts to bring about this change. And that, Lord, somehow, that I could begin to understand, to grasp, to experience, to feel your love for me. You've said it in your word, and I'm taking it by faith, but, Lord, right now, I don't feel it. But I'm asking for it that I can grasp the depth of your love. Lord, I want that. And the Lord, whatever these immeasurable blessings are that I can't even imagine, Lord, give me the faith to come to you, to pour out my heart to you and ask for these things. Lord, I want to have a relationship with you where you are on the throne of my heart, that you are God in my life, and the Lord, my life changes forever. Let's pray that way for ourselves and for other people as well. If you're here this morning and you don't understand what salvation is, let me close with this one little verse. John 6:47. John says, Very truly, or Jesus is talking here, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. The one who believes has eternal life. Salvation is about you believing something. It's about you believing, first of all, that you're a sinner. You're a sinner in the eyes of God. 
but that God sent his son to die on a cross to take the penalty for the sin upon himself. He died on the cross and he turns to you and me and he says this, will you put your faith in me? I made it as simple as I possibly can. That you put your faith in me, trust me, believe, and I will give you as a gift eternal life. That's salvation. That's how all of these blessings begin. That's how they all become yours. Will you do that this morning? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Right there where you sit, you can do business with God. This is not between you and me. It's not between you and this church. It's between you and God. And right there where you sit, you make a profession of faith. You between you and God. Lord, this is what I believe, and I'm saying it now. I'm claiming it. You died for me. I believe it, and I'm trusting you. Now, as this child, you have access to the blessings. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we're overwhelmed with the reality of how poorly we, we live sometimes. We are children of the King of the universe, and we live like paupers spiritually. Father, there are things that are true about us that we're not aware of, things we have not claimed, things we do not live. Father, forgive us. And Lord, I pray that each one of us can begin to comprehend your love for us, can begin to pray and to understand about your transforming power in us and all the blessings that are ours to be claimed. Father, may we never, ever shy away. May we be bold to come to the throne of grace boldly.